Probably going for a swim with that bike was like the most memorable first part of that trip. You don't need the good gear. What you need is the bike. Right. What you need is two wheels and the commitment to biking. Hi, this is Wesley and welcome to my podcast called Tell Me About Your Bike. Bicycles and podcasts go together like peanut butter and chocolate. Ever since I bought my first iPod Mini, I've been listening to podcasts on my bike. Podcasting opened up new worlds to me, from Kevin Smith's Smodcast to Terry Gross's Fresh Air. I listened to them all while I was commuting on my bike through the streets of Norfolk, Virginia. The Bikescape podcast introduced me to San Francisco bike culture, and the podcast version of Jack Thurston's Bike Show on London's Resonance FM took me back to my days as a bike courier in London, England. There are so many bike podcasts out there that tell you who won the Tour de France while they were riding what bike, or what carbon fiber seat post you need to buy next, or how the pros get away with doping, or what new miracle recovery drink will boost your lactic acid threshold. I don't care about that stuff. I want to hear about how you got there on your bike, the friends you made, the adventures that you all had along the way, the challenges that you overcame. I want to know what biking means to you. I want to learn how biking has changed your life. In this first episode, I'll be sharing a conversation that I had with an amazing young woman by the name of Taylor Carr. Taylor and I worked together as bicycle tour guides for a summer at Sockeye Cycle Company in Skagway, Alaska. We recorded our conversation while driving from sea level to 3,300 feet up and over the sublimely gorgeous and treacherous White Pass. The White Pass is at the north end of the longest fjord in the Western Hemisphere and it connects the Pacific Ocean to the Yukon interior. As tour guides, we would transport a dozen cruise ship passengers at a time in a van to the top of the White Pass and then lead them on a bike ride back down the paved Klondike Highway to Skagway and sea level. On this particular tour, we were driving over the border to Canada to pick up clients from the train station in Fraser, British Columbia. So it's just Taylor and myself and our driver for that tour by the name of Shannon in the van. You won't hear any customers in the van with us. So listen now to the inaugural episode of Tell Me About Your Bike. All right, so we're riding in van eight. Van eight and... We got uh, uh, Shannon and we got Taylor. I'm gonna ask Taylor some questions about her Raleigh. All right, so Taylor, I just wanna get my mic level set. Tell me what you had for breakfast. Oh, I fried two eggs with um, ample salt and pepper and a rare Skagway avocado, black coffee. Okay. That was my breakfast. All right, and uh, Shannon, what'd you have for breakfast? I had dry granola, like a champion, um, and too much coffee with some soy milk in it. <laughs> All right, so uh, Taylor, I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, so tell me about your Raleigh bike. I have a Raleighport Townsend. It's a steel frame, brown with orange stripes and drop bars. It's got fenders, which are much appreciated on the rainy days, and uh, I've had it since 2012. I think the only remaining part of it that is still the same 
is the frame, basically, part of the benefit of dating your bike mechanic. <laughs> and your bike mechanic's name is? Brian. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what has he replaced on there? Um, he has replaced the cassettes and the derailleur, new chain, um, new pedals on it so that I can clip in because it once just had flat pedals when I, when I bought it from the store, um, a bike shop in Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, yeah, basically all the components have been swapped out for new stuff so it has a little bit lower gearing. Okay, so it's a, so is this a good grocery getter? Ooh, um, it can be. I do have a rack on the back that I can put paneers on. Um, yeah, it, it, can, it can carry stuff. It's a strong bike. And how, what do you think the biggest uh, grocery load is that you've carried on? <laughs> uh, the biggest grocery load? I'd say um, probably f four bags in hand. Um, I just have a rear rack, so I really don't carry any like cargo on the front. Um, but I can, I can fill the paneers, and I've toured with it. Um, so I've had both rear paneers filled up. Um, and then strapped like sleeping gear and tent mm -hmm. on top of the rack and then had a handlebar bag on the front um, that I would just keep like extra snacks and um, bike pump and extra tubes and stuff like that in. And so what, what, was, your, uh, what was your first big touring memory on that bike? My first big touring memory on that bike is probably um, going down the coast from my first year in Skagway, Alaska. So we took the ferry down to Prince Rupert in uh -huh. British Columbia and had about a week-long layover before we could catch the next ferry out to Vancouver Island. And so I was exploring like little forest service roads and camping out. Um, and was still really getting used to being clipped in to that bike. Oh. Um, and on some of the Forest Service roads, they were a little washed out. It was rainy season in the fall, and I thought I was gonna find a good place to camp, but the road kept getting bumpier down this service road, and I eventually came across a puddle, got like halfway into it, and hit a rock. The water was like probably a third of the way up my wheel, up my tire, mm -hmm. and um, hit this rock and came to a dead halt and didn't anticipate it so did not unclip and just like tipped over into the puddle. Um, it was not like fond first memory but it, <laughs> it's entertaining to me now, um, amusing at least. So um, probably going for a swim with that bike was like the most memorable um, first part of that trip. It sounds like a ball cap that I saw on the uh, on the, the the ferry in Alaska. This guy was wearing it, and he was obviously totally exhausted. And on the on the back of his ball cap, it said, "The day after tomorrow, this will all have been fun." <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that that sums up so many of my bike touring experiences. <laughs> like this is going to be really funny tomorrow. <laughs> I was laying in this cold puddle in British Columbia. It was so funny. <laughs> I wasn't laughing at the time, but it was funny then. Um, so uh, was that a solo trip for you, or was that something you were doing with someone else? I was biking with a girl that used to work for Sockeye, uh, 
and so I did have a partner in crime on uh, the way down the coast. Okay. Yeah. So was that, uh, and and how um, how many uh, how many kilometers do you think you put on the? Like I have no idea. We didn't keep track at all. Oh. That's what, I get a lot of questions about like mileage on yeah. that trip, and I'm like, well, first we were in kilometers, and also I really wasn't tracking it. We were not in a hurry. We were just that sounds cruising beautiful. along. So in uh, by Prince Rupert, we cycled inland um, along the Skeena River, right? And we had a couple days to bike in, and then a couple days to bike out before we needed to head back to catch our boat out of Prince Rupert uh-huh. um, and we had a couple days to kill in town too we made really good friends with the librarian in Prince Rupert we still keep in touch oh wow and um, from there we hit Vancouver Island cycled the length of the island down to Victoria from Port Hardy and then in order to avoid what's called the Malahat just north of Victoria a really um, steep dodgy road basically a pass that gets a lot of traffic yeah um we were advised to take a ferry over to salt spring island which you have to pay a fare to get to salt spring island but everyone leaves the island for free um they have a free ferry leaving the island because it's like a beautiful fairy land with like um weavers guilds and apple festivals and purple houses everywhere so i would have stayed forever but the ferry was free we had to keep moving sounds like hippie Uh, heaven yeah it was nice (laughs) so uh from there we took a ferry straight into victoria and then um, we're able to take a ferry over to seattle from there i biked seattle to portland to albany where my best friend had just moved so did a little visiting um in the U.S. portion of that trip too, but uh, yeah, we're really just like jumping from boat to bike and back to boat again. And that and was about a month to, long. Yeah, it was about a month. Mm-hmm. And were you always solo, or were you, uh, or were you sometimes solo? My yeah, my bike partner Lori and I we split up when we got to Seattle because um, she took a train to Portland. So I was I was solo from there. But we were together most of the time. And during the day, we were sometimes moving at different paces. Mm -hmm. And being in Canada from the U.S., we didn't have cell service. So we would just kind of collaborate in the morning and say, um, okay, let's look at a map. Let's meet up uh, at approximately this location. Or when we roll into the next town, stop at the first gas station you see. Or like if you see a, a cafe... Um, we could just like intuitively know where the other person had stopped like that looks like a nice place to hang out and wait So we would reconvene a convenient location. That makes sense. I mean, especially if it's a smaller town You're not yeah. pulling into a big city and like oh, I'm gonna stop at the first gas station and yeah Or, or exactly. the first cafe. Well, which one? Yeah. So we were yeah We were always like camping together and cooking together and okay. meeting up, but not necessarily pedaling together all day so what was the um what was the biggest challenge that you didn't have to deal with as a solo woman on a bike? Because I think there's a perception um, that it's not safe. Oh, you know, like I mean, yeah. I get this as a as a as a tall guy. People will be like, "Oh, it's not safe to ride your bike," and I'm mm-hmm. like, "Good lord, of course it is. I'm safer on my bike than I am most anywhere else." But what was the what was like the perception that people always had that um, you were going to have this problem, and it just never came about? 
I think that on that particular trip, there weren't a lot of like cautionary tales that we ran into um, with biking. But the trip I had done prior to that, mm -hmm. um, I had done a bike tour in Ireland, and everyone I met there was like very protective and told a lot of those cautionary tales mm -hmm. um, that traffic wasn't safe, that the road wasn't good for biking on, um, that it was too narrow, people moved too fast, and then, of course, that um, I shouldn't be alone in the city or I shouldn't be alone in the countryside. Um, so right. I, I heard a lot of that there, but then I was like truly on my own the whole time, um, which might have added to it. And I think I was probably giving off a lot more hesitation um, mm -hmm. or like kind of giving off more fear vibes because I hadn't done it before. That was the first tour I'd ever done. Um, mm -hmm. And that was not with my Raleigh. Um, okay. uh, so I, I went over bikeless and then bought a bike in Ireland um, and it was really uh, not the most functional bike. <laughs> um, it just, it had a rear rack, but I didn't have any of the gear to go with that. So I was wrapping my stuff up. Oh, um, I had a backpack and I would wrap it up in a rain tarp and then bungee cord it onto the rack on the back. And it worked. Um, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't always the most comfortable setup, but uh, it kept my stuff dry and I didn't have to carry it on my back. It probably gave you an appreciation for the good gear. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> yes. You're like, oh, this works really well. I'm yeah. It was a nice way to start touring, I think, because I learned that you don't need the good gear. Right. That you don't have to have certain things. What you need is the bike. Right. What you need is two wheels and the commitment to biking. Right. Also, um, when I got there, I got kind of scared because so many people were like, oh, no, that's not safe. You shouldn't be doing that. Mm. And I, I remember calling home and talking to my mom was back in North Dakota and she would say like Taylor I think you need to do this like you got to find a bike and she was um, not a proponent for the plan for me to like go to Ireland on my own buy a bike in the first place but once I got there she said like you've gone too far you can't back out now find a bike and ride that bike around that country um, or you'll never let it go and it, it's totally true she was right I, I think I wouldn't have let it go if I had chickened out mm -hmm. at that point. And how long did you spend in Ireland? I was there for three months in total. You can be there for 90 days without a visa. And so I was biking around for like a month solid. Right. But then um, ended up participating in um, woofing. Do you, are you familiar no, with No, like, what's woofing? It's, it's an acronym for, I've heard it there's different organizations in different countries, but um, typically it's worldwide opportunities on organic farms. And so it's like a work trade program. You're not getting paid, um, but you're doing some kind of farm work, um, some sort of like agricultural chores. And you do that in exchange for a place to stay. Um, they usually provide food and lodging essentially and then um, you also in return are getting the knowledge and the experience that you glean from working on that farm so okay. I, I had 
plans to be at a farm for two weeks after a month of biking and then um, liked the place so well and got along with the family they they asked me to stay and so I I stayed and then would bike around with that sort of as my home base um, so I ended up volunteering on this farm for two months that's gonna be the end of the first part of my interview with Taylor Carr I'll be continuing it in the next episode, but for right now, I want to switch over and share some of the writings that have inspired me to ride my bike. Reading and riding. You know, the two acts go together like tires and chains. When I'm riding my bike, I'm often thinking over something I've read, and when I'm reading, I'm often thinking about my last bike ride or my next big one. So about a decade ago on the Bike Show podcast, Jack Thurston introduced me to a slim collection of essays called Need for the Bike by the French author Paul Fresnel. Paul Fresnel writes like a champion track cyclist pedals a fixed gear bicycle. There is an economy and fluidity, no wasted effort, no superfluous motion. From reading Paul Fresnel, I know I could trust his wheel and ride in his slipstream for miles and miles. Paul Fresnel's essays have deepened my love of cycling. I've carried his little book across the country on planes and in panniers on my bike tours. I've read his essays out loud to housemates and quoted them from memory and pace lines. So in each of the next few episodes of Tell Me About Your Bike, I'll be sharing one of his essays. And here's the first installment. Miracle. The bike always starts with a miracle. For days you tremble, you hesitate, you tell yourself that you'll never get rid of that hand guiding you under the seat. My mother and father took turns holding on to me, as did, no doubt, one of my cousins from whom I'd inherited the little bike, whoever it was who was in charge of my miracle. They'd taken off the training wheels and I took to the field in front of our house and followed its slope down, gaining momentum. I was looking for the magic moment that makes the duo stay up when it should go down and I wiped out already and got up again. And then one morning, I no longer heard the sound of someone running behind me, the sound of rhythmic breathing at my back. The miracle had taken place. I was riding. I never wanted to put my feet back down for fear that the miracle wouldn't happen again. I was in seventh heaven. I did a tour around the house, proving to myself that I could do four right turns. And for a number of weeks, I preferred turning right. I was no longer afraid of anything. I rocketed past the clump of nettles that usually scared me. I rode panic-free down the long, lonely road behind the house and came out in front again in triumph, but still unable to raise my hand in a victory salute. I've never gotten over this miracle. Learning to swim didn't move me like this, and it was really only learning to read that equaled the intensity of learning to ride. Within a few months then, I learned, in that order, riding and reading. At the age of five, that Christmas, I had arrived. I knew what my work would be and my leisure. In every episode of Tell Me About Your Bike, I also want to give a shout out to a podcast that inspired me to start podcasting. And the first one is the granddaddy of all biking podcasts, The Bike Show hosted by Jack Thurston on London's independent arts radio station, Resonance FM. For over a decade, Jack has been recording rolling interviews with folks like Eddie Merckx, Alex Brompton, and Isla Roundtree. 
Jack inspired me to put a microphone on my bike and get out of the studio. So go check out the links. You're in for a great binge. Many of the oldest episodes of The Bike Show won't show up in iTunes, but you can still listen to them by visiting the linked website using your favorite browser. So thanks, y'all, for listening to the inaugural episode of my podcast, Tell Me About Your Bike. Please rate it and review it wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be launching a Patreon page soon. If you like what you've heard, please pass this episode on to a friend. And if you really like what you heard and you know someone who needs a podcast produced, pass my name on to them. I'm between seasonal bike jobs right now and I'm looking to tell more audio stories. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. If you've got a story to tell about your bike, drop me a line. Let's meet up, ride together, and make some memories. Cheers, y'all.